Once you commit and you have a big enough why, you have a big enough reason to do it, like I said, everything else is going to be easy. It's going to be like, okay, I'm committed to this course of action. I know I'm going to do it. I have this big reason to do it. My family's not going to, you know, be fed if I don't. You know, you're going to figure out how to get over all of the obstacles, you know, and it, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes creativity. Sometimes it takes other people, but you're going to figure out how to do it. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Brian Briscoe. Today we're learning about his journey from being an active duty member of the military to a now retired full-time real estate investor. We're going through the initial steps that he, ta- he took to get himself started as a real estate investor and then progressing to the point where he was realizing that he's coming up on his retirement he had to make some changes in order to live the lifestyle that he wanted and he did it and now he is a full-time real estate investor who retired from the military in 2021 great stuff awesome lessons in this one i know we have some active duty military members out there so if this is a direction you want to go if you want to become a full-time real estate investor it is fully possible Brian did it. And today we're going to learn about his journey, big lessons along the way, and so much more. I'm your host, Taylor Vote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage syndications. If you'd like to learn more and learn about investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time because I get to see your reviews. I get to see that you're engaging with the content and escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, they want to invest in real estate, they don't know how, share the show with them, bring them into the tribe and help them grow alongside you. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now we're here with Brian Briscoe. We're going to get going. Let's go. Brian, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been great reconnecting with you. It's been a couple of years since we recently spoke, except for that part where I was just on your podcast. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about where you came from, what you did as a busy professional and where you are now? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Salt Lake City, you know, and that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 40 something year old right now, but I, I decided that I wanted to be a math professor going out, out the gates, right? So I went to college, got a bachelor's degree, a master's degree in math. And in order to be a math professor at, you know, any sizable university, you have to have a PhD mm-hmm. and not only a PhD, but you need to get a PhD from one of the top schools to be flexible. So I applied to as many top 10 schools as I could, got into a couple, ended up going to the University of Minnesota and hated it. You know, I, I realized <laughs> at the time, I, I mean, I didn't realize this till later, but, you know, I didn't enjoy math as much as I thought I did. I enjoyed teaching, but I ended up getting an out. And, you know, this is not the typical out the the first month that I was at the University of Minnesota, you know, September 11th happened, you know, terrorist wow. attacks, September 11th. And, you know, I, I don't know, part of, part of, part of my decision 
after that was because I, I wasn't enjoying the PhD program as much as I thought, but I decided to go active duty in the military, right? So ended up you know, going to offer candidate school with the, the Marine Corps, Northern Virginia, not too far from where you're located, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, lived in Stafford at the time, but yeah, went active duty in the Marine Corps. And I ended up spending 20 years on active duty. And along the way, I decided that, you know, as long as I'm active duty, I know I'm going to be moving every two to three years. Uh, I was going to take advantage of the lenders, you know, because lenders will give you you know, 90, 95% loan to value or of a purchase price of a house that you intend to occupy. And I figured, hey, if I'm moving every, every two to three years, I'll move, get a loan, buy a house, turn it into a rental, move again. And the other really nice thing about that is lenders are very, what's the word? They're 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 less restrictive on military members because we're forced to move. I mean, if you're if you're trying to you know, kind of house hack and do that with lenders, they're going to start saying, hey, you're you're kind of taking advantage of us. But anyway, long story short, I, I picked up a handful of rental properties over the years. You know, every time I moved, I, I do an analysis. Does it make sense to buy here and turn it into investment property? Am I going to cash flow and whatnot? And did that, you know, a handful of times, you know, fast forward, you know, I get to around my 16, 16 year mark in the military. And oh, by the way, you know, if, if you don't realize this, the, the military does have a retirement system with a pension and it's it's like a light switch. And this is this is it's archaic. It's like from the 1930s, you know, but it's archaic because at 19 years and 11 months, you get zero pension at 20 years on the dot. All of a sudden, you know, switch goes up, lights go on, you get a pension. And so you know, the 16 year mark had already committed to 20 years. I started to think, okay, what's going to happen after that 20-year mark? Just because of how, how difficult moving every two to three years was on the family, I had decided that I was going to exit right at the 20-year mark. I didn't want to you know, pluck my kids up anymore and move them from one school to another, from one community to another. So I started looking at real estate, which is something that I did enjoy. Incidentally, I, I never really looked back at the math community. It was always real estate from there on out. So I realized I, I enjoyed real estate. I had proof of concept with the single family homes. And I decided I want to go all in on real estate, figure out how to turn real estate investing into a business and ended up learning about multifamily apartment investing took a couple of courses, you know, some some online courses, ended up buying into a, a big dollar coaching program and started to learn the business. And long story short, in, in the last three years that I was active duty, I was able to be partner on 10 different properties for a total of about 650 units. And I officially retired October 31st of 21. So, you know, as of today, I've been retired, I think, for nine months. I'm I'm coming coming quickly into my one year mark. But yeah, so so right now, you know, multifamily investing is my full-time job. And that's where I'm at. Awesome. I love it. And I'd love to dig a bit deeper into that journey. I was just thinking as we were talking, I don't quite remember when we originally met, but I think it was mm-hmm. probably around that time when you were taking those yeah. courses and and determining your path, probably through similar coaching program, which you went through, but I did not, but we were kind of in the same, same yeah. area at the same time. Maybe I, I remember it was, it was before COVID because, mm-hmm. you know, I was going to a lot of the DC area meetups 
And a couple of people recommended that I reach out to you. And I remember it was in person that people told me to reach out to you. So it was, it was probably 2019, sometime in that year. But I, I, I don't remember exactly when either, but... Hey, ballpark I'll, 2019. I'll take it. I'm glad you reached out and it's been great to, you know, watch your progression. And then you retired and you moved back mm-hmm. out West, right? Yep. I'm in Idaho Falls right now, which is about a three hour drive from Salt Lake where I grew up. Awesome. Yeah. So regarding those first couple of investments or, or houses that you bought when you were active duty mm-hmm. military, can we dig into those and hey, you kind of got started because I think for most investors, you know, this is a pretty, I think, common knowledge in real estate investing is the first couple, first one really are the most important to get you yeah. started as a real estate investor. I, I agree. And I I think a lot of people have what's called the analysis paralysis, where mm-hmm. you really think about something for a long time and you're not sure. You know, I didn't have, you know, a whole lot of confidence in myself. You know, I didn't come from a family where your know, money was talked about really, you know. My, my parents didn't invest a lot that I knew of. I remember the only time my dad told me anything about investing is during one of the stock market crashes. He mentioned that his retirement fund took a big hit. And that's all I remember hearing about investing growing up. So yeah, long story short, I, I didn't have a, a background in it. So the first one for me was probably two or three years of study, read you know probably a half a dozen books on single family homes and finally decided to pull the trigger. I used my my VA loan to buy a a small house and and that was it. I didn't do I honestly did not do a lot of the analysis that I should have done for an investment property. And but on the flip side like you said, that was probably the most important investment because I got in the game. Fortunately, that property cash flowed most of the time. You know, it was it was one of those things where we when you get factor in the tax advantages, we were we were always in the black. But you know, before you before you factor in depreciation and how much money I was saving on my tax returns, um, there were a couple of a couple of years where we were putting out a little bit of, of money here and there. So that was the first one. You know, the second one was very similar. It was an FHA loan this time because I still had a VA loan on the first property and had to put a little more money down, and it was the same thing except once again, I didn't do my homework. This property, when we moved out, we were putting five to $600 a month into it to keep it afloat. It was, wow. uh, I mean, that's what, that's what happens when you buy it 97% leverage in San Diego. Ooh, you yeah. Know, just, yeah. So that was a, that was a huge lesson right there. But, you know, we, we bought that one in 2007 to that. Wait, that was 2008. It was after the market had started to slide, but it, didn't quite bottom out, but yeah, it was, it was, it was the next one that we did. And it was, it was a little bit of a drag, but you know, I, I knew that I knew the real estate market would bounce back. And I knew that, you know, if we can just, if we could just hold on to this property for five or six years, we'll be happy that we did. And, you know, ha- I'm very happy to say that I think six years after we bought it, we sold it and we put $140,000 in our back pockets. So that that was that was that property, and and the third one was was very similar. You know, we used a VA loan again. This you know VA has they they changed the rules and allowed people to start using you know reusing VA loans and how they 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 basically changed the rules on max purchase prices and eligibility. And so I was able to use my VA loan again and leverage that 
to buy another investment property. And all, all in all, I ended up with three single family homes as investment properties, but it was all the same model. It was use an owner-occupant loan, VA or FHA. So I had a very low down payment, didn't put a lot of money out of pocket and you know, ended up between those three houses when I when I finally sold them all together, you know, quick math in public, made about <laughs> 300, 300,000 on what was probably a total investment of about 50,000 between all three. That's great. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. I mean, turning, you know, six Xing your money is definitely nothing yeah. to 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 sneeze at. Also, not something to, you know, rely on in any kind of investment. But that's the power of compound interest yeah. and, and investing in the long leverage run. Leverage is what that that's the power yeah. of leverage. And that's that's what happens when you can get in with three and five percent down on a property and you're you're in the middle of a bull market. So yeah, it was I was fortunate to to be in largely during a bull market where real estate prices were just going up and up and up and up. Nice. So it sounds like these were remote rentals when you ultimately mm -hmm. chose to start selling them. I'd like to dig into that transition from single family investing. You said you had three units to, mm -hmm. you know, you, I know you made it into multifamily, right? Bigger yep. multifamily. So let's talk about that process. And also I'd like to really dig into the, the, what I would imagine were the headaches of having three mm -hmm. single families and managing those? Did you have property managers? I mean, there's such a hassle compared to larger properties. So let's dig in all you know, that. The, there, there was a headache, but for the most part, I put the property manager on it and didn't think about it. You know? So once again, I, I wasn't really thinking of these properties as a business like I should have. I wasn't putting a lot of time into it. So the, the headaches came when the property manager wasn't doing what I thought they should have done, you know, but at the same time, I wasn't communicating with the property manager telling him what I wanted him to do either. I was just, you know, hey, manage the property, take care of it. But I mean, there weren't any large headaches except for a couple of points. But when I started looking at how to scale this, I started realizing that I can't be shotgunned all over the country. You know, I, I had had one in the DC area, one in Southern California, and one in Utah, right? So I, I realized that if I wanted to turn this into a business, I couldn't shotgun things around. I, I, I didn't want to have three different property managers. And one thing that I realized is, you know, if property managers are making 10% of your rent, they're making about 100, at the time, 100, $150 a month per property. And property managers aren't going to do a whole lot for a hundred bucks. That's right. <laughs> That's right. You know, I, I started realizing how much would how much work would I do for a hundred dollars, and it, the answer was not very much. You know, maybe two hours. But so I started realizing that in order to make you know a real estate investment work with single family, I'd have to go all into a single market. You know, and I was still active duty, and I knew that I was going to move at the end. And all of a sudden, you know, single family just didn't seem to be able to scale very quickly. I wasn't in the market that I wanted to invest in, so that was going to be difficult. And I started doing the math, you know, if I had to put 15 to 20% down on every property, how many properties can I buy a year? Long story short, I, I realized that it was going to be more difficult to scale single family than I was ready to do. And so I started looking, fortunately, I, I happened to read a book on, on multifamily that I accidentally downloaded when I was on deployment. And <laughs> it was, it was eye-opening, you know, it was, it was a book by Brandon Turner. Oh. And 
um, yeah, he he actually, I, I met him in person a while ago, and I told him the story. He's like, yeah, that's probably the worst book ever printed in the world. Oh, geez. And, and he was disappointed with it. I'm like, you know what? I don't care. You know, it grammatically, yeah, you may have had grammatical errors there. It may have been a short book, but it turned the light on for me. But long story short, I started looking at multifamily and I, I saw that you were able to scale with multifamily a lot easier than you could scale with single family. Um, I started realizing that it'd be a lot easier to raise capital for you know large multifamily deals than for single single family units. So that's where I ended up going all in with is just figuring out, okay, now now I want to do multifamily. How do I figure it out? And and that's where the coaching came in. That's where you know books and podcasts and other educational items that I've purchased over the years came in and you know slowly I, I started learning more about it found some partners and I'm, I'm sure you're going to want to dig into that part too but yeah off to the races nice well we were talking uh er- earlier you mentioned that just before your retirement kind of in in covid mm-hmm. uh, your hours at the pentagon increased to a point where your your approach to your multifamily investments which you had already had up to that point you already mm-hmm. closed deals had the change. And I think that's really interesting. I'd love to focus on that in particular and how you you realize those time constraints that were probably pretty obvious, but also yeah. you know, dealt with them and, and change your approach. Yeah. So so prior to COVID, and I was I was actually placed on the Pentagon's COVID task force. So Whoa. it was it was very much COVID that triggered the the hour change. But prior to COVID, you know, I would show up to the Pentagon sometime between 7.30 and 8 every morning, depending on public transportation. And I would leave around 5 p.m. every day. And the Pentagon's such that, you know, you there, there's, you know, lock boxes along the walls all throughout the building. And those are for people's phones. You know, you, you put your phone in a lockbox, you walk into your office. And so I had to be very creative just to get the ball rolling. You know, I had to set appointments with people. Hey, Mr. Broker, I'm going to call you tomorrow at 10 o'clock. You know, are you busy? And, you know, get the broker to just put a little note on their calendar that I'm going to call them and, you know, walk out of the Pentagon at 10 o'clock and, you know, get on the phone and and, and call them. So I had to be very creative working around, you know, working in the Pentagon. Then when when I got on the COVID task force, I was all of a sudden doing 12-hour shifts. And what, what a 12-hour shift is, is you, is you show up 30 minutes early to start doing your turnover, you know, to make sure that you're up to speed with everything that's going on. And then you're on shift for 12 hours, and then you spend, you know, 30 minutes on the back end, you know, making sure the next shift is, is ready to go. So all in all, it was about 13 hours a day in the Pentagon. And, you know, we had... We had three properties at the time, two under contract, and I was the asset manager. And this is this is where having good partners is is absolutely crucial because, you know, I talked to my partners. I'm like, all right, my my shift just changed. You know, I'm this is going to be it, and I am going to be pretty much dead to the world on the days that I work. And we we ended up shifting responsibilities around to where, you know, my partners picked up the asset management and I picked up other parts of the business. So that's, that's when I started doing the podcast. Incidentally, my, my schedule was four days on, four days off, which is, has pros and cons. It's just the, the four days that I was in the Pentagon, 
I was going to be dead to the entire world, you know, and then I would swap from days to nights every other month. And so it was, it was just not a very good schedule to be able to guarantee that I'm available every Monday for that call with the property manager. Um, so we, we changed my role to where I was going to be more into the marketing, more into the finding the investors, the, the capital raising. And then that's when we started the podcast too, because I had, you know, four days in a row off every, every, you know, every eight days. So I, I started doing things where I didn't have to be available on the same day and time every week, like you would as a, as an asset manager. So, so, you know, I'd record podcasts on the day that I was open. I would, you know, do a lot of the, the marketing activities and set everything up for the, the, the days that I was working where I could make a LinkedIn post or I can make a social media post, have it all queued up, ready to go. It would only take me 13 seconds. You know, I didn't really time it. It may have taken me 15 seconds, but <laughs> that's, that's the kind of the idea and how we change things is we just shifted responsibilities so that I was still adding value to the team. I was, you know, reaching out to people, bringing capital in and occasionally, you know, when we needed partners or other people, I'd be the person who would, you know, go out searching for those people. Nice. So, long story short, that's that's how that changed. Well, you really you dealt with it, but it, I guess, suppose in, in a way. Fortunately, it was it was temporary, and you're able to you know go and, and focus full time. Now, I'd like this- to turn to the listener out there and really just sum up some takeaways for them. I know we have some listeners who are active duty military. Some of them are overseas, so that adds an extra layer mm-hmm. of complexity. I would assume with the VA loans and all those kinds of things, yeah. but. For those out there who you know would like to find themselves in in your position as a full time real estate investor, retired from the military, and really focusing on your you know your wealth, building wealth for yourself and others, just some takeaways you know from from your experience and how they can move down that path. You know, I I think the biggest thing is you have to commit to the path. You know, a hundred percent. And and looking looking back at it, I think there were there are two things that really helped me commit. Number one was coaching. And it wasn't the fact of getting the coach. It was paying the coaching bill that helped me <laughs> sure. commit more than anything else. Right. You know, I, I paid, you know, $25,000, you know, biggest check I had written in my life up to that point. Actually, I think a down payment on one of our houses was more than that. But one of the largest single checks I wrote in my life. And I, I had to really think about that. And writing the check helped me commit more than anything else. And the second thing I did is, you know, I, you know, in air quotes, you know, I burnt the, burnt the ships, you know, I, I burnt the boats that were, were taking me away. So I was, I, I made a commitment that I was not going to look for another job. I had three years left on active duty. I just started a coaching program and I was a hundred percent committed to making that work. And on the back end, I knew that I, I had a ticking clock that I'm not going to look for another job. I'm going to put my retirement papers in right now. So I'm committed or as early as possible. So I'm as committed as possible and I'm going to make this work. And if I don't make this work, I'm going to have a hard time providing for my family. And that was, that was kind of the biggest thing that I had of my mind was, you know, I gave myself a three-year runway. I had a really big, compelling reason to make it work. And I was hundred percent committed and that that's really the key to it. And if, if you're hundred percent committed to, to something like this, you're going to find a way, whatever situation you're in, you're going to find a way to make it work. 
Wow. I love that. I appreciate you summing it up for us. And, you know, everything you've done is so impressive. And I know you, we were talking for about a half an hour before this, you have so mm -hmm. much more on the way, but I know there are a lot of folks that, that want to go down that path mm -hmm. and the, the commitment device of, of paying for a coaching program can really help a lot. I've done that myself, yeah. you know, years ago, this was 2013. I think I've always hated swimming. I still hate swimming to this day. But one day, my sister, who got scholarships to college, to Princeton for swimming, mm -hmm. she was a championship swimmer. Still, now, 15 years later, she still holds records for times nice. she's at. Great swimmer. She said she wanted to do a triathlon. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to do it too. And I hate swimming. So I had to teach myself to swim mm -hmm. laps in order to do this. But that commitment made yeah. me learn it. Never going to do it again. I still hate it. But hey, I did it. Yeah. Committing really yeah. makes a difference. The, the, the commitment, once once you commit and you have a big enough why, you know, you have a big enough reason to do it, like I said, everything else is going to be easy. It's going to be like, okay, I'm committed to this course of action. I know I'm going to do it. I have this big reason to do it. My family's not going to, you know, be fed if I don't. You know, you're going to figure out how to get over all of the obstacles, you know, and Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes creativity. Sometimes it takes other people, but you're going to figure out how to do it. Absolutely. For the record, like I said, still hate swimming, would not do it again, but I'm glad yeah. I went for it. And uh, nice. yeah, at least we love real estate investing and, uh, and the commitments yeah. up this long way. It makes it easier when you like what you're doing. That, it that's, does. That's true. It does. All right, Let's great. Go. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Brian, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your mm -hmm. education? So that commitment device of the coaching program is off the table. Okay. I, I would say the first multifamily property that we purchased was was the best investment. And not because it was a great investment, more because it really got me into the game. You know, it was it was a big, a really big thing for me. And it helped me overcome that hurdle and actually become an apartment investor. So there you go. Totally. Absolutely. It Number transformed one. you from single family investor into a multifamily investor. Mm -hmm. You learned how to do it and kept scaling. So I love it. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst mm -hmm. investment you ever made? Besides the thousand dollars that I put into Bitcoin last year, um, <laughs> I, I would say the second house that I bought, the second single family house was, was probably now all in all, we did okay. We walked away with $140,000, but what that property did, because we were putting five to $600 a month into that to keep it afloat for several years, it kept me from buying more. So the opportunity costs there were, were a lot more, you know, if I, if I had to go back, I, I would have figured out how to buy, you know, properties that cash flowed. And I probably would have ended up with five or eight single family homes instead of just two or three, three is the answer. So I would say that one just because I didn't do my homework 
it didn't cash flow and it was a huge drag on our finances. Wow. Tough lesson to learn. But hey, you are where you are. So we'll work down. My favorite question here at the end of the show is Mm -hmm. what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I I would say ready, fire, aim is, is what I've learned. Up front for the first couple of times, I was always a ready, aim, 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 double check, (laughs) you know, yeah, check the wind. Okay. Wind's still blowing it. But I realized that you, you had to be able to say yes and figure it out. You know, you have to, you have to know enough to recognize a good deal, but you also have to be able to say yes and figure things out. And that's what I ended up doing a lot with, with multifamily, especially was, okay, I don't know everything, but I know enough to take the next step. And being able to take the next step and figure out, you know, the process as we were doing it. And I mean, having, having good people around me really helped having mentors, having, you know, a lot of people in my, my corner where I could go to and ask questions definitely helped. But I I would say the, the biggest thing was going from, you know, a ready aim fire to a ready fire aim mentality. Love it. Love it. Well, Brian, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to find your podcast or your group or anything like that, anything you're up to, where can they track you down? Easiest way is to reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's where, you know, I, I, I talk with a lot of brand new people. If, you, if you're interested in, in investing with us, you know, streamlinecapitalgroup.com is the website. Podcast is called Diary of an Apartment Investor. It's available everywhere you can get any podcasts. And I do have an educational community where I help people who want to do what we've done. Um, it's called the Tribe of Titans. And the website is thetribeoftitans.info, I-N-F-O. And that's awesome. It. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.